Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler. With me as always, from GamecockCentral.com, Wes Mitchell, Chris Clark, live streaming this bad boy on YouTube. Hopefully you can hear us. Hopefully you're watching us. Is this going to be available to watch after we record it as well or only live? Assuming that you can hear us well, I'm going to republish the video to be watched. Um, so we're doing this a little different this time, I guess. If you're watching on YouTube... Hello. Hello. You can send in your <laughs> questions via chat. Oh. Um. Or you can send in your questions via the Insider Forum on Gamecock Central. Where um, we actually have a mailbag thread up. We just have our because I ish together this week. It. Yeah, because <laughs> Wes actually Good job, guys. Thank you for doing that. We're high tech. We're living in the future, doing a whole bunch of stuff. A little bit different, but the content's still the same. Still South Carolina football. We're a week away from spring. Exactly a week away from spring. This time next week, we'll be talking... Way more specifically about spring practices, Carolina will have gotten underway. And not a moment too soon, Carolina knows who their coaches are going to be for the 2020 season. No better time than uh, just a week before spring practice to get that thing figured out, right guys? So really, I guess, Wes, this was sorted out on Friday. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, they're to that time period now where the coaches can actually meet with the players some. Um, they're still doing winter workouts. Spring, spring practice is on February 26, as you alluded to, Pearson. And so, yeah, w- with some of the coaching moves, there was a, a few days of a time period where Will Muschamp interviewed some outside candidates. The Tracy Rocker thing obviously moved quite quickly, which made sense. There was a pre-existing relationship there. Uh, Tracy Rocker is someone that Will Muschamp had tried to hire before, actually on his first staff at South Carolina in 2015. Timing didn't work out, and it did this time. And, um then you had the situation where, you know, interviewed some outside running backs coaches. There was a time period where they were waiting to see if Brian McClendon was going to get an opportunity to go to the Steelers. Um, that did not end up happening, and so Muschamp had to make a decision as to how he wanted to proceed. And so on Friday, um, you know, we published our story about um, the coaching moves, and that was, you know, in addition to Tracy Rocker, that Brian McClendon would stay, coach wide receivers, Bobby Bentley would coach running backs, and then Muschamp was going to hire Rod Wilson, former game guy, to the linebacker coach position and will also assist with special teams, for, per our understanding. And Brian McClendon did not get the Steelers job. Ike Hilliard is going to be the wide receiver coach for the Steelers. Brian McClendon staying on staff as the wide receiver coach for South Carolina, which means Joe Cox staying at tight ends. And then, as you mentioned, Bobby Bentley moving back to the running back coach position. So how much of an impact does, is it actually going to make? Because you mentioned this is just about the time that the coaches can start to talk to the players. You still have a week before spring practice. And obviously there is the consideration of these new coaches have to come in and learn everything that they're supposed to learn about what they're going to be doing here at South Carolina so that they can impart that wisdom and knowledge to the players in just a week's time. Is it actually as big a deal as I feel like it is in my head that the coach, that like half of the coaching staff is 
coming in with like less than a month to prepare for spring? You, you know, I, I don't think so in this case. A couple, couple reasons for it. Number one, you know, so Brian McClendon's staying at his same position, right, and, and at receivers where he's been since 2016. Bobby Bentley has coached running backs. So now there are going to be some schematic differences with what Mike Bobo brings to the table as opposed to what it was under Brian McClendon, under Kurt Roper. There are going to be some different things there. Um, but Brian McClendon has coached in that scheme. So he's familiar with what Mike Bobo does. He was the running backs coach, but he played receiver. He understands schematically what you're going to be bringing. Joe Cox um, is a new coach to this staff, uh, but he's been on staff for a little bit now. He wasn't one of these late hires, and he also has worked with Mike Bobo as a position coach for, what, three seasons, I guess it was, four seasons. Um, so there's a high level of familiarity there. Tracy Rocker's familiar with what Muschamp does schematically. I mean, he's coached in some similar systems. Um, they haven't worked together directly, but he's going. He's a veteran coach, NFL. He's been five SEC programs, now is six. So he'll have an understanding. So I guess really the the one that they'll have to get up to speed from a schematic standpoint is Rod Wilson, you know, because he hasn't coached with Muschamp yet. Um, he's been focused more coaching on special teams in the NFL, but he does have college experience at linebackers, and he's an extremely bright coach who played in college, coached in college, he's played in the NFL. Um, and now he's coached a really good organization with Kansas City Chiefs. And my understanding is he is he was extremely impressive during the interview process. And so um, I think he'll be able to pick it up pretty quickly, um, you know, and, and, and be in place. So I don't know that it's a huge, if I'm being honest, you know, huge issue as far as that. I think the bigger issue is just can the staff squeeze out production out of this team because this is obviously a huge year and spring ball is going to be a big part of that development. Yeah, we can get into a little more spring preview later, and then obviously as spring progresses, just a couple quick things on Rod Wilson, who has, obviously people will remember him, most people listening to this remember him playing at South Carolina, played a couple years in the NFL, had some injuries, you know, was he was on rosters, you know, he played for the Bears, he played for the Bucks, played for the Jags, I think it was just on the practice squad there it looks like, and then played one year for the Bears, and then had kind of an interesting coaching career where he, I mean, he's still a young young coach. He's not even 40 yet. Started coaching inside linebackers at Charleston Southern, and then his next job is in the NFL. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, granted, it's an assistant special teams coach, but I feel like that's a little bit of an interesting leap. But now, South Carolina can boast having a Super Bowl-winning coach on its staff because he was obviously the assistant special teams coach for the Chiefs this past season and has a Super Bowl ring on his finger right now. Yeah, and I, I love this hire, honestly, because to me it it checks a bunch of boxes. You're, you're talking about a guy that... Um, like we talked about, is a South Carolina grad, um, is a Palmetto State native. He's from um, across South Carolina. He's coached in the state at Charleston Southern. And, you know, I, I know it's like the popular thing for fans to to want to – they want to hire an entire staff, um, like Steve Tannehill coaching quarterbacks, <laughs> um, you know, Mark Slidemore coaching running backs, backs and... Sidney Rice coaching receiver. you know, like – Connor Shaw quarterback. Yeah. Now the quarterbacks went, ooh. Yeah, now – You'd have you'd have a battle controversy, obviously. Um, but but point being to to that point, um, it's not a bad thing to have guys in the room that played at the school that care a little bit more about the school than it just sort of being, you know, what their job their job is to care about it. That they have a connection to it. He's from, you know, a small town in the state of South Carolina. Yeah, if I asked you to locate cross on a map, could you do it? Because I have no idea where that is. I've, I've never been, heard I've of been it. there before have to you? the school. Yeah, head coach Sean Wright, good guy. Um, the average person probably could not. I don't even know what part of the state it's in. Um, it's in Berkeley County. Okay. Yeah. But but you know, so you have 
a guy who can say, look, I'm from small town South Carolina and can walk into a home and be like, most of the small towns in South Carolina probably look a good bit like cross South Carolina. He can say, look, I played in the SEC. I played in the NFL. And, oh, by the way, I have this Super Bowl ring that I'm wearing as well. Plus, yeah. dude, when, when you get unsolicited texts from people just wanting to brag about someone as a person, um, like I, I got two different texts uh, when the news started getting out uh, late last week about this hire and just how this guy is one of the best human beings that um, the two people who texted me have ever been around and how um, he's going to be a down-to-earth sort of a lead-by-example um, that, that is going to sort of not really have the ego that some coaches have but is going to be sort of demanding and but also connect with kids and connect with parents. Um, I, I think it makes so much sense in a lot of ways. I, I thought – you know, that he had a decent shot of getting on staff when Muschamp made his initial round of hires. And I believe, was Peterson the final, Mike Peterson the final hire previously? Yep. Um, so, I yeah, he, so. he went with Mike P there. But, and a guy with a similar background. He had spent yeah. a lot of time in the NFL with the Falcons. Yeah, so, yep. you know, you, you so see. he kind of got like that mold. Yeah, and I, I think it's a, a situation where the initial interview probably put Rod Wilson on Muschamp's radar for a future opening, and, and now you see it work out where um, you know he, he's going to be on staff, and you know I, I would assume we'd probably get an official announcement later this week, um, and then and then sort of go from there. So here's the rub, the tough part in unpacking all of this. Rod Wilson seems like a good hire, young, up and coming guy. People have a lot of good things to say about him. Has good experience, you know everything that you mentioned from where he played to where he coached, all good. You look at Tracy Rocker. Great guy. Revered developer. Has been all around the SEC. Has a lot of relationships. That's a good hire. Mike Bobo. Great hire. 20 years experience as an OC. He's got a little bit of head coaching experience now. He's done it in the SEC. He's played in the SEC. He has those relationships. All of that is good. You could make an argument that pretty much every hire that South Carolina made as sort of a replacement this offseason, with the exception of, I guess, the running back coach. That's the one where it seems like it's pretty fair to characterize that as a downgrade going from Thomas Brown back to Bobby Bentley. Everything else is at least a lateral move. And Jay and Tommy and I had some fun with a poll question on our local show yesterday. You know, basically, with the recruiting class and with the coaching staff moves, how do you feel about the season? And most people were, like, generally optimistic. You know, there's, like, great, bad, and, like, two medium options, like a positive medium option and a negative medium option. Most people went with the positive medium option because, again, all these on paper are great hires. But number one, and we've talked about this on this podcast before, you're still dealing with a lot of turnover, which is still hard and leads sort of into the but two, which is how much are these guys going to be able to put their individual fingerprints on this program? Because for some of them, you know, they're getting in late. You have a week before spring. And like you said, there's a lot of fundamentals that happen in spring. So it's not so much how much can these guys pick up the scheme. But this staff has a year. You know, like if Carolina goes five and seven this year, that's it for everybody. So there's not like a huge amount of time where Mike Bobo can say, all right, you know, we're going to slowly transition into exactly what I want to do. He's got to take what's already in place and add, you know, his tweaks and his flavor to it. You know, same with Rod Wilson, same with Tracy Rocker. All these guys have to sort of do what they do well, but inside the pre-existing infrastructure. There's not a lot of room for them to totally overhaul anything. So 
it's obviously better to get good hires than not as good hires, but how much of a difference does that actually make? How different is this team going to look with all these new? Yeah, I mean that's that's coaches. sort of the million uh, multi million dollar question <laughs> of of um you know how much can they squeeze out and and so I, look I, I I take those coaches and also take Paul Jackson into that equation and then I take into account what's on the roster because I mean players matter man I mean that that's been proven year after year after year you got to you, you need a really good balance players to to win you need great players. You need coaches who are developing them, putting them in the best optimal positions to win, and then you've got to stay healthy, right? Go back and look at the teams that have won conference titles, national titles. For South Carolina, that's not even – I mean, that's a goal, obviously. But this year, you, it's not like you have to get there this year. You just need to go through and have a good season and try to build on that, try to get back to that sort of baseline of winning. Um you need all those things. Uh, they they all have to be in, sort of in that ingredient. So this is a team that has a lot of questions. But I think the thing is, like you said, if you're losing coaches, are you upgrading or are you staying about the same? And I think whether you look at this recruiting class or whether you look at, you know, the coaching staff, um, I think given the season and then some of the off-season turmoil, they did about as well as you could hope for, mm-hmm. really. And some of that was, you know, having a guy like Tracy Rocker who was looking for a change and had a pre-existing relationship – that's good fortune. Having a young and up-and-coming coach like Rod Wilson who wants on staff, also good fortune. But I do think some of these coaches in certain situations, I mean, Mike Bobo's experience I think is going to be huge. You know, um, his track record of quarterback development, hopefully that's going to help, whether it's a Ryan Helensky or it's a Colin Hill bringing along Luke Doty. Um, but, look, I, I, I just think it goes even beyond the staff. You know, obviously they're going to be key in developing the quarterback and putting the offense together and, you know, Brian McClendon at receivers coach focusing only on receivers. It's going to be huge for him this season to develop Josh Van, Xavier Leggett, um, have Shai Smith take that next step. Can he develop to carry on Joyner from quarterback into receiver? Just so many questions about it. And I think that's where they're well, where they will prove their worth. Um, I think. And so it's hard to answer, you know, I, I don't think we have to say, if Carolina doesn't win 10 or 11 games this year, which nobody would project, I don't think, at this point, we have to say, well, the staff was a failure. But they got to get back to that baseline. Well, and especially because we don't know how much of an ability they're going to have to make an impact and to change things and to do them exactly like they wanted to. I, I guess it was – I don't remember if I heard this anecdotally from somebody or if this was in Josh Kendall's Steve Spurrier piece a couple weeks ago, but basically talking about bringing in a guy like John Hoke and then not letting him do – what, what he wanted to do right. or what he felt like he needed to do. And it's funny because I, I so much fan so much fan ire was directed towards John Hoke. And he's kind of, he's like still the butt of jokes, you know, all these years later for how Run terrible fits. his defense is. And then and then you find out, oh well, you know, part of the reason it was like that is because he wasn't allowed to do what he wanted to do. And part of that is because he didn't know how much time he was going to have. And so it's just, yeah. okay, what can I do? What can I bring, like I said earlier, to this existing infrastructure? So that's we're never probably really going to know. Yeah, and I think here's the thing. If um, a portion of the fan base is like at this point of, uh, I don't, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear any more, th- they would say excuses. I don't want to hear any more ras- rationalization about why things are the way they are. I don't care that most of the staff or a good portion of the staff is new. I don't care that it's a new offensive scheme. They're at this point of, I just want results, mm-hmm. and four wins is not enough. 
Sure. Um, now the the reality of the situation at this point, whether anybody wants to hear it or not, is that when when you change an offensive coordinator or change an offensive scheme, um, sometimes it it's really really difficult to see huge improvements year one, especially early in year one. So um, I I think the the thing that Ray Tanner will have to do is again sort of um, block out a lot of the noise. I I don't know if there is a specific number that you say um, South Carolina has to hit this win total. I think it's about seeing progress within the program and seeing that the program um, has started the upward trend again, which we all thought it was at year one and two as opposed to what you know we saw last year. And I, I think you look at um, that from Ray Tanner's perspective. If you're going to say, okay, we're going to allow Coach Muschamp to start over as far as coordinator goes as opposed to just being an AD like some of these other SEC schools that have just said we're going to start over completely, at that point you actually have to give – the new staff, the time to to make that impact you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have two different forces pushing on everything, one force being the portion of the fan base that you're talking about saying, I need X number of wins or mm-hmm. I'm done, versus the reality of, hey, if, if you're going to change coordinators and, and change you know these different positions, then um, you have to sort of give them a chance to make their impact or, but, else, or else there was no point in doing it. But doesn't it feel... Even still, I I don't think you're wrong in terms of the correct way to think about it, but doesn't it still feel like the former to you more than the latter? I mean, do you really get the sense that this coaching staff, this newly assembled coaching staff, is going to have a couple years to work out all of its kinks? Well, I, I was going to jump in, but I, well, I don't want to interrupt my, you. My point being, it I think it depends on how we're judging that. Are we just judging it by... Wins and losses. Are well, we at that point, or are we judging it by, um, let, let's say, let's say South Carolina wins six games? Well, right. Yeah. So I was, was going to say, I'll put it to you like that. If Carolina goes four and eight, no one stays. Right. If Carolina goes right. five there's and a seven, certain baseline. No you one stays. Get right. To. Yeah, so let, baseline is six and six. Let's let's say I South Carolina so. goes six and six, but they start the year the most difficult possible. No, they they start the year horrifically, but then as the year goes on, the offense settles in, um, young players step up. And they finish the year on a positive note. To me, that's a different outcome than South Carolina's up and down all year. You know, plays bad, but wins some games they shouldn't, loses some games they shouldn't. You know, and and just ekes their way to to six wins. To me, it's not just a number. Everybody everybody wants a number. I I get that, and I think a lot of people. And I, I'm not even saying I disagree. A lot of people are saying, "Hey, I've put my money into this." And I'm at the point where I need to see results, and I don't care who's who the new coaches are and all this stuff because there's a certain amount of frustration that drives that. I I get it completely, but then I think from a realistic standpoint, if you're going to bring in a new offensive coordinator, you have to at least be realistic about what the results are going to be. I feel like anything sub 500 will be it. I think that's how people are thinking about it. Th- that's what it seems measure like. wins. Even even six and seven. Even if Carolina goes to a bowl and loses, I feel like that will be it. They need to be seven and six or better. See, that would be really interesting. The 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 bowl 
the six and six and then a bowl loss. And, and they, I don't know. I mean, that that's when it's going to become really difficult. There's a certain point in which, like, I'll say this. There's an appetite in the administration, and I'm not saying you've got to agree with this. If you're listening, some people mention, well, that's not true. Yes, it is true. What I'm going to say is true. There's an appetite in the administration to stick with Muschamp, mm-hmm. okay? That's despite everything. I know last year it got really bad with Ray, you know, the the – Ray Tanner. And that stuff was real. I was going to say, you better be careful bringing up Kaslin because someone's going to have your head on a oh, platter. Wait, no. I mean, no, it, it got bad with just everything. I mean, the on-field product, there was support, there was infighting, you know, there was support, there was lack of support for whether it was Tanner, Muschamp, whatever. Eventually, that all settled into this, and that is, you know, everybody wants to win, but there's also an appetite to stay with a guy, meaning I don't think – you don't, don't think they're think, looking to move? No, they're not looking to make. They're not. They're not going. God, how can we fire this guy? No, you know. And Ray Tanner and Muschamp are very much attached at this point. So there's an appetite to stick with the guy. That said, they do have to get to sort of that baseline that we've talked about. They're not going to be able to win three or four games and stay. It's just, right, it's untenable. Your point about Tanner and Muschamp being connected is interesting because I feel like if it gets to that point, if it is six and seven, or you know, I mean, it, it can't be six and six. Carolina go bowling, but. You see what I'm saying? If it's like one of those marginal kinds of seasons and the fan base is going to want somebody's head. And for Ray Tanner, the only way to save his job might be to move on from Will Muschamp. Now, there are people that say, and this may be more correct, and you all have more insight into this than I do, that whenever Will Muschamp leaves, that will be the end for Tanner because that's sort of that's the hire that he's hanging his hat on. But you feel like for Tanner, that could be – you could see him or I could see him being like, this is the move I need to make to keep my job and to have a chance to – you know, basically make amends for this or to, to go out and get the next guy. Yeah, but see, that there will be, um, right or wrong, it, if it goes bad, so to speak, there will 100% be a push from, you know, power brokers, for lack of a better term, to make changes everywhere. And power brokers right. are not people on the Insiders Forum, right? <laughs> some of them. Hey, like uh, there are hey, some. We yeah. got some, there? yeah. There are some. There are there. some. So, but but... You know, that's so everybody's hope is that I don't, nobody's sitting around the administration going, says he see title or bus, man. No, unrealistic. Unrealistic at South Carolina almost, <laughs> almost any year, mm-hmm. and especially not this year. But like Wes was saying, evidence of progress has to be there. And, and there has to be evidence of progress also with some baseline of wins. And I think generally settling in the 500 or better range is a safe place to start with that. Now, do we know that for sure? No. But it's easy to see that if it's below that, it's gonna be it's gonna really go bad in a hurry for the administration, right? And given given that this is branched off from a conversation about the coaching staff, it's also fair to say, as we say, I don't know how much of of an impact they're gonna have. I don't know how much they're gonna have an opportunity to impact the team. I'm gonna throw out the number seventy thirty. College football is a player sport. Huh. I've I've heard people say it like this: if you gave Nick Saban the three of us and you know eight other people to play offense and defense, it would not go as well as if one of the three of us was coaching what Nick Saban has at Alabama right now, which is to say it's a player's game. What happens this year? 70-30? Is that fair? 70% of what happens this year is up to the players, 30% coaches? Or is it closer to 60-40 or closer to 80-20? That's a great question. I I mean, 70-30 sounds pretty solid to me. Now, I think the 30 is... You know, it starts with the coaches getting the guys ready. Right. Not necessarily like in game, even play calling and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but just 
putting them in a position where the athleticism and the player part can take over. You know, that these guys can go make plays. But, I mean, I think kind of to your point also, it's like there there seems to be a common refrain around here of, well, there, there's talent. There's a lot of talent on this team. Um, they should win more. And, you know, I, and I get that against certain teams where South Carolina, you know, was upset last year. But also, you're facing a lot of teams that you can say the same thing about um, as far as talent. And People um, in Columbia, Missouri think that they have the more talented team. People in Columbia, South Carolina think they have the more talented team. Exactly. And it's yeah. because if you really broke it down, um, it's probably pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then I think it does it become a coach thing at that point when you have two teams that are very similar talent-wise. It comes down to coaches. It comes down to matchups um, to where maybe there's an overall – the overall talent is similar, but this team has the advantage here, this team has the advantage there, and this advantage one out over the mm-hmm. other one. Then it comes down to game day decisions. Then it comes down to blind, stupid luck and who did the ball bounce for you know, on that given mm-hmm. day, I think. Did Ryan Helensky bounce the ball forwards or backwards? I guess that wouldn't have mattered because it would have been a fumble either way, but and I'm still, stuff there, like that. That's, I'm, that's, that's not a fumble. Bounding. That's not a fumble. It's, I, not, it's not. I will go to my grave <laughs> saying that that is. That's not the spirit of, of how that's called. Here, here's but. the other thing. How much better, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate into any more wins or one win, two wins, three. If South Carolina could just be healthy for a season, I mean, they're automatically better, right? Because you, you, so. you take what they have been the past four years and, you know, I, I take take that game up in Clemson in 2018. Does South Carolina win that game fully healthy? Probably still not. But they had zero, less than zero chance to stop Clemson off, you know, defensively because Clemson really, really good. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, South Carolina was not that great, but they were they were gashed. I mean, decimated to the point where Brad Johnson's playing 100 snaps and special teams with the flu. <laughs> you know, so I mean, it's. That's my point. You go back and look. You know, everybody. There's been a lot of talk about the running back. You know, room. And I ran some of those numbers on Gamecock Central yesterday. Man, what if they were just healthy? Like, what if they had Rico Dowdle and Tyson Williams and AJ Turner and Mondenson all healthy the entire season? You know, a couple years ago, maybe it wouldn't made a big difference, but maybe it would have. You know, it, it's like it's those types of things. And so, if by whatever, whether it's luck. Um, whether it's how they train now, if they can stay healthier, that's going to give them a much greater chance to come out of this in a position where they can continue trying to advance the program. But we agree that it's mostly players. No, what, oh, what, I the, think what's the exact percentage? I mean, that's not yeah. crazy to say anyway, but when you have guys being interviewed for a Steelers job, taking a Rams job, taking a – I mean, uh, John Scott's now at the co-DC at Penn State. Is that his official title? No, I don't think he got no? a did he, did he? Did he? I well, don't he, know. He's got a big enough raise. I thought there was some associated title with it. But well, point he got, got a two-year deal as part of that, yeah. too. So, point is, you are you have guys that are well-regarded, that are taking or interviewing for good jobs elsewhere around the country. So, you can look at last year's assembled talent on the coaching staff and say, yeah, those guys those guys were pretty good. Like, you know, well, much of them did a good job getting those guys, and now they're going on to take, you know, other better opportunities. And Carolina still went 4-8. and eight. Yeah, you're so, right. So, you're left... Yeah with it being on the players. And like you said, like, you know, last year a lot of it was injury. A lot of it was guys just not performing. Like, what, where was Shai Smith last year? Yeah, and I mean, and you can, I mean, 
heck, you can put some of that on the coaches. I mean, so I, I think it's just it's really it's really hard to measure all of it because look at you know the teams that were in have been in the playoff the past several seasons. What's the common theme? They're all really freaking good. Like they've got a lot of talent. It's the common theme. They've all been in the playoff. Right. The last yeah. They, they years all have, yeah. And so so LSU jumps in this year and they just destroyed everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, they had like approximate number 42 guys declare from the draft for the draft like right after the game so they obviously have a lot of talent Mm -hmm. now they also maximize that joe brady parlayed that into an oc job at 30 years old for the carolina panthers and that's why the panthers are going to win 12 straight super bowls but aside from that or the opposite (laughs) aside from that yeah my number went up from like nine to 12 once he was hired why not 13 baker's doesn't don't be too greedy about it but my, my point is, like, all right, if, if LSU had all that talent, take the same talent, and Les Miles was still coaching and they're still running the Stone Age offense, do they, do they win the national title? Mm. Maybe, maybe. But they definitely don't roll over everybody like they did. Um, so that's where you sort of meet that mix, right, of you get a bunch of really good players and a transcendent competitor like Joe Burrow, and then you mix it with, you know, really good coaching, really good motivation, and just the way that Ed Orgeron ran his team and evolved, that's when you get a championship team. Mm-hmm. And so that's – now it's hard to get there. I mean, a lot of great teams never get there. So let's do this because, I, I mean, I assume the people listening aren't actually confused because these are the diehards and these are people that know what's going on. But let's say I'm a little bit confused, and I just want to make sure I have this exactly right. Um there's been a lot of turnover, so let's just make sure we have this straight, and we're, we are going to take one detour. But for the 2020-2021, hopefully, <laughs> South Carolina football season, the offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach will be Mike Michael Bobo. Bobo. Tight ends coach will be Joseph Cox. The wide receiver coach will be Brian McClendon. The running back coach will be Robert Bentley. And the offensive line coach will be Erica Wolford. I don't think it's short for Erica. Let's take yeah. a quick detour of Bobby Bentley. Why not move Bobby Bentley to tight ends coach where he is coached? Where I mean, I don't know. I think it's probably safe to say that tight ends less important than running back. You move Joe Cox to wide receiver coach where he has coached. Granted, I think it was just a year at Colorado State that he coached wide receivers, but he has experience mm-hmm. doing that. And then you can move Brian McClendon to your running back coach which was part of the consideration for the Steeler job. Like I think it was for the wide receiver coach, but I think there was also going to be like running game coordinator implications in there, and he's done that before. Well, I saw speculation about that, but... Unfounded? Well, I I just I look at what the Steelers folks were reporting, and they had McClendon and Jericho Cotri as the two finalists, mm-hmm. and then... And then Ike Hilliard gets it. I <laughs> get, so, and yeah, I, I think there was some blog that was speculating about the running game background, but... I never heard that part. Anyway, okay. we're completely digressing. Well, I'm just saying the entire time, Bobby Bill has been the running back coach before, and the running backs are terrible. Let, let, let me push back on that a little bit. Did, did you read? Now, I'm not saying the running backs are great. They weren't. You they were also it. banged up a little bit. A lot. The the numbers, so I'll pull them. Okay. Um, yeah. As computer numbers. Th- there is a, there is a, Thomas Brown did a really good job. Okay, with that group. He had some injuries, too. Tavian Feaster and Rico Dowdle both got hurt again this year. Um, And he did a really good job recruiting. Super recruiter. Um, South Carolina also 
has not recruited an elite running back yet before Marshawn Lloyd. Rico mm-hmm. Dowdle was really good. He got invited to the Senior Bowl, right? Um, or was it the East-West game? Whatever it was. He got invited to a postseason all-star game. Going to have at least a chance to play professionally. He just wasn't healthy. Um, so on the running backs thing, if you go and actually pull the numbers, there's not a ginormous difference in the production from year to year. Hmm. And and you also got to factor in, okay, you know, Rico as a freshman versus Rico as a senior. Presumably he'd be better as a senior if I was coaching him. Yeah, yeah. Although his right. freshman year was the second best year by – it was like senior one, freshman two, and then junior and sophomore year tied for third. Right. So what are the reasonings behind that? I mean, maybe – Injuries mostly. Injuries in mostly. Case, yeah. You know, but – you know, if you just break out now numbers, there's all sorts of things. If you're just looking at stats, how was the offensive line? How was the play calling? How was it, you know, all these different things. But, I mean, now the yards per carry average this season were the best. It's 5.88 yards a carry, you know. Just for the running backs. Just for the running right. backs. It's running backs only. Mm-hmm. The, the, actually, that's the top three backs. So that's Feaster, Dowdle, and Denson, <laughs> three seniors. Um, one that's of top factory in Kevin Harris is 75 yards a carry. <laughs> right, yeah. something – he he had yeah eight and a half and on average, <laughs> yeah. so um, you know Feaster was at five point four. He was a senior who they who transferred in. Rico was you know Rico was at four point seven on average, and that was you know his as a freshman he was five point seven. As a sophomore he was three point eight, and then as a junior he was five point three. Hmm. So, I mean. My my point is like, there, and like there's how like how much of that is Kurt Roper and right. I mean, know, there's all these different. Things. So there's all these perceptions. Bobby Bentley was absolutely terrible. Well, the offense has not been good at all, and so like it wasn't good last. I mean, they couldn't run the ball against Appalachian State last year. Mm-hmm. Running game didn't look very good then. I thought Thomas Brown did a super job. Okay, I'm I'm on record with that, and clearly the the Rams thought so. Um, but I just think like the the perception of how of there being this just absolute chasm, I, I don't know. Do you, am I wrong on that? I mean, well, and I I know we got um, my computer's dead. I know we got some people that asked that exact question. If we want to, I saw one of those on the insiders for me. the mailbag while we're at I think it. That was um, Michael because I do want to hit the mailbag, but um, I believe there are two questions that, or maybe even three, that were very similar. Um, you know. Yeah, USC Beckham. I'd like to hear your thoughts on BMAC coaching wide receivers instead of running back. Um, and then there was one other that was very similar. J.H. Johnson talking talking about reordering the staff. Yeah. So yeah, part of me thinks that there was already so much change on the staff in general that maybe Muschamp did not want to completely change his you know literally the entire staff (laughs) save eric wolford on offense you know and have just nobody back you know in their same spot basically and um i think that the other part that goes into this is that mike bobo is very very involved i'm sure in the offensive decisions and one thing i put in my carolina confidential is that mike bobo is also um, very high on Brian McClendon. And, you know, th- I think there was this perception that the Carolina coaches, you know, Bobo, Muschamp, et cetera, wanted McClendon to leave, you know, which is just simply not the case. If if Mike Bobo would have gotten a job elsewhere, then 
there's a pretty good chance, um, and I'm not just making this up, like there's a very good chance that one of his first calls would have been to Brian McClendon to try to bring him on staff wherever he, he might go. He just happened to already be at the same place. So Mike Bobo is high on McClendon's ability. Um, I assume he wants him as his receivers coach, and I, I think it, it goes that far. You you know, Joe Cox has one year of experience coaching wide receivers, and Joe Cox, from everything I've heard, is going to be an outstanding addition to this program. He connects well with the guys. Um, he's going to be a really good recruiter, I think. I think he helps South Carolina and Charlotte. The players love him so far. Um, there's a lot of reasons why Joe Cox was added to this staff. I believe putting him as SEC wide receivers coach after just one year of being a receivers coach um, would have been quite a risk. And I, I think this gives you – this is sort of your least risky um, way to go about doing it, um, I believe. Now, does McClendon need to see results from the wide receivers this year? Is there there to be a lot of development? Ab- absolutely. No, no doubt at all. But um, I think the fan base – at times gets caught up in Brian McClendon, the play caller versus Brian McClendon, the receivers coach. And when he's allowed to focus just on wide receivers and just uh, at that position, I think you see a lot of times when a guy has to focus on being a coordinator, it falls off as far as some other responsibilities within his job. Mm -hmm. He needs to have a really good 2021 recruiting class. He needs to develop the young guys that are on campus. But now his entire focus is on that as opposed to the offensive side. I've always thought, it's a little bit awkward when a wide receiver's coach is also your play caller. I think it just works better when a quarterback's coach is your offensive coordinator and your play caller. So, Will, you know, I, I, I get everyone sort of being against this. I understand. I get it. But uh, there's also a reason why it's been left this way. And um, now it's just about seeing, you know, seeing if it works, I, I think. I mean, yes, you can make the case for that for doing it by switching everybody around. But now you're truly talking about an offense that has every single spot new except for offensive line coach. I think that's very reasonable way to approach that. Thank you, S. <laughs> Let's, y'all want to hit another question? How about SC Bobo 85? Any under-the-radar guys in state for 2021 that we should be watching? Timely question. We had a little bit in the Insider Report this morning about some in-state guys. So there's five offers out right now in state it's uh, Robbie Oots from Rock Hill the tight end and a couple D linemen Justice Boone from Sumter Tyrion Ingram Dawkins from Gaffney um, there's another D line offer out to Wagner Sally's Elijah Davis but he's a guy from what I'm hearing um, is more than likely going to be a placement for somebody at the next level but a guy who's definitely got some ability and then Chance Black from Dorman was verbally offered last season um, he's a guy that plays running back could project as a receiver and at this point, I think he's someone they're going to just sort of continue watching. I think it's more likely he goes out of state now. But um, some, some more, you know, Omega Blake is not under the radar. He's got several offers, including Tennessee. He's picked up some other ones along the way. But I think that uh, he's someone to watch. South Carolina's continued to scout him. Um, J.J. Jones, you know, from Myrtle Beach is a guy that staff's continuing to watch. Amari Huggins-Bruce from Dillon, again, not an under-the-radar guy, but just a guy without an offer that they're continuing to watch. Um, any other ones that come up off the top of your head? You know, Thornton Gentry from Chapin, maybe. But the numbers are, are going to be really low probably in this offensive line class. So, you know, that's something to consider. I think the two most interesting 
guys to watch there for me is Omega Blake and J.J. Jones at, at wide receiver. Yeah. And, you know, to a lesser extent, um, Amari Huggins-Bruce there at Dillon. As far as you have three guys in state, um, you know, that and, – and I'll throw my guy Nashawn Hezekiah at Orangeburg Wilkinson there who's way under the radar but I think has a huge upside. Is gonna His recruitment's going to take off at some point, whether it's at South Carolina or more like a group of five, you know, type level. Um the question for South Carolina is, are these guys difference makers at the SEC level? We know that all of them are really, really good wide receivers um, at the high school level. And I think all of them would be solid wide receivers at the college level. There's a lot to like about every guy we just mentioned. The, the thing for South Carolina is going to be, and this goes back to you know Brian McClendon as a recruiter, as an evaluator. The question is going to be picking the correct ones to, to offer because I think anybody on that list, if they offered, they could land them. Um, you're not going to take all four, you know, in-state wide receivers, I, I don't think. I think it's going to be about picking the right one and then having to live with that decision. So, uh, to me, that's maybe one of the more intriguing storylines in-state because it is it is a down year. There's not as much upper-level elite talent in the state of South Carolina as there has been um, traditionally, but – for this year, South Carolina is going to have to make some hard decisions on who they go in on in-state. You want to get this one from Washington Cock, and we can transition this into a little bit it. of a spring question. Okay, He wants to know a breakout player on offense and defense, an uh, impactful newcomer on offense and on defense, and an MVP on offense and defense. We can leave the MVP for maybe like the end of spring as we look forward to the season a little bit, but if we want to project a breakout player on offense and on defense – and an impact new player on offense and on defense for the spring, since we're just a week away from that. Go ahead, offensive, Chris. <laughs> offensive breakout player. We're ju- are we just talking about now, like spring? Yeah. Or yeah, just let's, let's, let's once do it. we get to the season? Yeah, let's do the spring version, because I'm sure we'll revisit something like this in a future mailbag as we get closer to the season. I got my yeah. offensive guy. Okay, Wait, I think I, I think I have an offensive guy. Should we all say it at the same time? Because I feel like we might all be thinking the same person. I mean, if you want to, All yeah. Right. Uh, Colin always has trouble with this, so it's three, two, one, and then go. But I'm not going to say go. It's just three, two, one, boom. Yeah, I'll do this a lot. <laughs> we do this a lot. I, I can see that, and we always have we always have to go over it. Okay, three, two, one. Marshawn Lloyd. Okay, oh. cool. <laughs> so he would he be the maybe the most impactful new player though? Well, my my. Or right. is he going to be so, so my question was, are we cheating as a breakout player, a guy that's been on the roster before? Oh, yeah, definitely. Maybe. I mean, I think like that's more the definition okay. of a breakout All guy. All right, so not Marshawn Lloyd. I would pick, you know what? I'm going to pick Josh Fan. Mm, that was yep. Wes's pick for last year. Yeah, didn't. And then he, uh, what, led the SEC in drops? Well, you know. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Piling on. Whoops. Uh, all right, you can go with Josh Fan. You got yeah. one, Wes? Yeah. Um... Come come back to me on that. I, I really thought you were going to go Xavier, just because he had so much upside and the offense was such a mess last year, and he started to play more and had that one really bad drop against Texas A and M, but did enough to get onto the field towards the end of the season. It feels like he could take a leap because that is, I mean, just wide open for wide receiver number one, even with Shy there. Yeah. Come back to me on that. Okay. All right. What about a breakout player on defense? Breakout player on defense. Um. I'm going to say that 
Zach Pickens. Mm, that's kind of what I was thinking. We should have done three, two, one for this one. Yeah, and I, I was sort. Of, the thing is, I was sort of going back and forth between Zach Pickens and Rick Sandage because I, I think both are gonna like take that next step mm-hmm. forward and probably there's a little. I feel like there's a little bit of like residual um, effect when a guy like we have a guy at your position that is Mister Everything and goes to the NFL, and those guys are super talented and they're seeing Ken Law. Mm go to the NFL, I almost sometimes feel like there's a, like a little bit of a residual impact where these guys are like, if I take my game to the next level, that's there for me. Yeah. And both those guys have the baseline talent to be able to do that. So, I, you know, I, I think I could have said either one of those guys. I, I went Pickens just yeah. because I think a lot of the fan base sort of forgot about him a little bit last year. Well, I think that's a good one because I feel like that perfectly fits the mold of like the breakout player question because it's like who is someone that's going to get a lot more workload this year? And he mm-hmm. – Pickens played in eight games, I think, last year or nine, and he played like 15-ish snaps a game. He's going to play in all 12 or 13 games this year, and he'll probably play, I would say, no fewer than 35 or 40 snaps a game. Mm-hmm. Probably sounds about right. So that's a guy that it's like an easy uptick in production, uptick in impact, um, and Sandage too. But my, my first thought was Pickens as well. You got one, Chris? I was going back and forth. You know, I, I would argue Ernest Jones has already broken out mm-hmm. from last year. and Did he? Finish the season leading the team in tackles? Yes, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and then I don't feel great about this one because I'm not sure about the playing time. I would Jamar Brown. Oh, yeah. Would be That's one. a good one. Um, you know, but I was I'm I'm curious about the breakdown and and who's gonna play where. Obviously, Ernest Jones is gonna be your mic, and I would think that Sherrod Green is probably the front runner at the will position. Mm-hmm. But I think Jamar is probably your starter at Sam when they're at, in at Sam, that. right. So how much is he actually going to play? I don't know, but um, you know he 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 the staff loved him during recruiting and and he impressed him last year and he didn't play a ton but he he you know didn't keep his red shirt so um, he played and some had a last cool, year. Like, flying force fumble kick. Yeah, exactly. What game, what game yeah. was that? Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Kentucky. Kentucky. That was Kentucky. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean he he's a really athletic guy. He's put on some weight. He can really run. He's got a nose for the ball. He can cover. So I'd probably pick him. Yeah, was it Coleman Hutzler or Mike Peterson, someone saying in the offseason last year that, you know, if he could look like anybody on the team with his shirt off, yeah. it was Jamar Brown that's or something exactly like him. that? Yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty it. good. Uh, before we move on to the impactful new players, did you come up with a breakout offensive player or should we come back to you? I'm going to say Ja'Kai Moore. Oh, oh, that's a good one. Cool. I think um, – Smart pick. Smart guys pick offensive linemen. Well, you know, and I, I think Sidarius Hutcherson – Best case scenario slides back to to guard, um, you know, and then I think Dylan Wanham is a definite starter at one tackle spot. So then, there's really an opportunity for Jakai Moore or Jalen Nichols mm-hmm. to step in and and be a guy, uh, you know, as a starter. And I went Jakai. I, I mean, you could see the one, but I, I'd say Jakai. I think he's an athletic guy. Um, really liked him out of high school. Big chance for him. So, and I fig I figure. People just don't think about offensive linemen a lot. So if you're talking about a true breakout player, um, you know, I, I think he's got a chance. That's what I was going to say. If you if you would pick somebody at center for a candidate, mm-hmm. then you would be unless so just moving, by virtue of like winning the starting job, right? right you're unless you're taking move, and that's going to be an interesting one. You know, I mean, they moved Donnell Stanley over after the you know the first game to stabilize that position. So um, Vincent Murphy. You know, I mean that that's a guy potentially to watch. So be a little bit of a battle there, and got some. You know, I got think some Eric wide eyes could get reps at center again. 
Uh, Hank Manos obviously Hank Manos will be in there. So. Yeah. He's still got to put on some more weight because he wasn't even 300, I don't think, in, in that North Carolina game. He was still – and obviously he had to – like his his weight journey is fascinating. It was fun talking to him about it a little yeah. bit during media day last year because he's just had to put on so much since losing a ton of it. But, I mean, he's got to be at least like 310, 315, you think. And his body can hold it. Like he's he's a he was like a slim 295 yeah. up in Charlotte last year. If Jordan Rhodes is completely ready to be the guy at guard as he was for several games last year, can Javon Gwynn – possibly play some center i'd be curious he's got the body type he's sort of the incumbent at right guard but he uh but Rhodes played a lot could. last year and if you're if you're moving yeah. if hutcherson plays guard right because Rhodes then, mostly played on the on the left last year right uh yeah yeah it was it was Rhodes on the left gwen on the right okay yeah and donnell at center mm-hmm. yeah yeah there there's go. some intriguing op- you know there's some talent up front mm-hmm. you know and Dylan Wanham will miss the spring but he will be good for the season. Yeah. And, now unfortunately some- I, f- I feel like in the spring both of the lines are probably the positions that you learn the least about. You get the least clarity. So I don't know if in a couple of weeks we'll be having any more productive conversations about it but come summer and come preseason camp the, there're going to be a lot of really interesting battles between a lot of guys that have some experience that are all, I mean it's it's like is it seven guys coming back that have some experience playing SEC football on the offensive line, and mm-hmm. obviously only five starting roles? Or I mean, you know, eight if you want to throw Manis in there. I, I think we'll need to see, you know, quarterback decision making. Then we'll need to see what can some guys do with the ball in their hands. Right. So we'll talk about that on offense. And you know, how much does Bobo turn this into an I form fullback, H back? You know, a lot of twelve, maybe sometimes twenty two personnel, because that's going to change too. Because there are guys on this offensive line. Uh, like I think we saw Jordan Rhodes was a gifted run blocker, but found himself in, uh, I guess, less than optimal positions a lot of times in pass protection. So if you have a couple guys that can get after it run blocking and you're going to run it 65% of the time, maybe that's a, a little better suited than if you want to drop back and try to throw it around the yard like 45 times a game. So a lot of interesting things to consider there. Uh, most impactful new player in the spring, Marshawn Lloyd. Marshawn Lloyd. That's an easy, easy one. Uh, yeah. Most impactful new player on defense for the spring. So we're changing it from this coming season <laughs> to spring, right? Yeah, okay. just to have a little more but it could be both. timely conversation. Um, yeah, sure. Because Kaba is going to miss the spring? Yeah. 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 Um, that would have been my pick. Most impactful new player on defense. Trying to run through the guys. Yeah, who all even? Jordan Birch won't be on campus. Nor I mean, you don't have a bunch of defense. Dominic Hill is in. Um, like a lot of the defensive starters are kind of solidified. Yeah, I mean, you, you could pick Kaba if he was. I mean, you know who your linebackers are. You know who most of your line is. You know who your secondary is. I mean, is anybody going to come in and, and take that other safety position next to Roderick? Let's go ahead and push it to the season for okay, this one, sure. just because there's there's not really options for the spring. Um, and then we'll all say Mo Kaba, and then we'll <laughs> uh, all say yep. who's your second highest impact guy, and then I and say then I'll Jordan Burke. Yeah, I would go with I would go with yours. Yeah, with. With Cobb and, and Birch in some order. Yeah, that's what I would go with. There you go. All right, cool. Well, thanks for the question, Washington Cock. We'll get to, I guess, MVPs either on the other side of the spring or sometime in the summer. We have plenty of time we'll to have get through that. Many, many hours of podcast <laughs> to fill. Many talk about hours. All It'll be great. And like I said, spring starts a week from today. Another piece of spring news that I first saw from Wes. So thank you for that, Wes. Uh, you wrote about this on Gamecock Central yesterday. And 
Chris, you alluded to it a little bit earlier in the podcast. For those of you that haven't seen, DeCaron Joyner is going to be working exclusively at spring. So he was another option for breakout player. If he starts working exclusively yeah. at receiver, could he be, he be someone that, what? Did you catch that? What? You said it working exclusively at spring. Oh. I didn't catch it at <laughs> yeah. all. That was like one of those things where you reorder the words. <laughs> yeah, working. At, I have, uh, I guess, mental dyslexia or something. Exclusively, uh, working at, receiver. exclusively at receiver this, this spring. spring. There we go. <laughs> So another candidate for, for breakout, again, for the same reason I picked Xavier Leggett, because that is absolutely wide open. Joiner, a guy that has flashed his athleticism. Everybody knows what he can do when he has the ball in his hands. My first thought with this, though, is moving to Kieran Joiner from quarterback to wide receiver, to me, says he probably wasn't going to be the backup again this year, which says Colin Hill or Luke Doty, which one of those guys is the coaching staff looking at saying that's probably the number two quarterback come August 31st? Ooh. Well, I see. I a think, twist on the answer, though. I think coming. Colin Hill is going to push for for the number one spot. Ryan so, Holinsky backup. No, really? I, I'm not saying that. I just think he's going to push that position. I tweeted which it. Is, is, no, I, I think that's why he's there. I don't, I don't think he's there just to say, hey, I'm going to be the backup. Hold the clipboard, okay. yeah. I think he's going to be there to push Ryan Holinsky um, for, for the number one job. Now, wow. Um, now so, th- every- so it has a lot more to do with with Hill. I keep wanting to say Colin Taylor, obviously, because he's our favorite. But this has more to do with, with Colin Hill than Luke Doty. Yeah, well, I think all, all the above. But I, I think, you know, and Luke has, everything I've heard about Luke since he got here has been incredibly positive. Um, he, so Luke... Marshawn Lloyd and Mo Caba, even though Caba has been limited coming back from the knee, are probably the three most impressive newcomers just as far as a combination of how they carry themselves, how they work, their approach, their professionalism, plus uh, with Luke and Marshawn, what they've done in the workout program, whether it's running, lifting, all that stuff. But, you know, I, I think you look, and Colin Hill, we, we won't really know much about him this spring either because He's not going to be able to do much this Recovering spring. from his third ACL tear. Yes, So, but I, I think um, ideally you bring Luke along at his own pace. Mm-hmm. Now, it, is there, we talked about, you know, getting to carry on Joyner involved as, at quarterback in particular packages. Is there something you look at with Luke Doty in, in that position um, this year as well? I, I think ideally, though, you play Luke in four games, let him redshirt, um, be smart about how you handle that position, and then you let Ryan Helensky and um, Colin Hill sort of fight it out for the number one spot, and then obviously whoever whoever wins it there is the uh, is the you know the other guys the backup. But I I think Colin Hill is not just here just to say hey I'm going to be the backup. He's here to push Ryan Helensky for number one spot. And ultimately though that's what you want. You want competition at that mm-hmm. position. But Colin Hill knows the offense. He's a big arm kid. He can make all the throws just to throw a bunch of cliches at you. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I I wish. I wish Colin Hill was available for the spring because I think that'd be fun to sort of get out there and see um, the comparison, you know, of the two guys, Ryan Helensky in his second year versus Colin Hill is sort of a little bit more of a veteran. Is he a game manager? I hate that word. But he's got doing all the cliches. He's got arm talent. Arm talent is one of the best. So DeCaron Joyner was in a position where he was going to be battling Luke Doty for the third string quarterback. I mean, maybe. He's just a combination of things that, like, it just made more sense to play receiver because he's going to play a lot more, well, theoretically. And, and let's, this is his first opportunity to actually play wide receiver, not 
play wide receiver slash quarterback slash mm-hmm. while he's hurt going back and forth. <laughs> plus, hey, guess what? We're at Georgia. We need you to go play quarterback. <laughs> you know, you know like, you can't walk, but do your best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, last year was so, and then he got what a hamstring at the end. Uh, the concussion against A&M. Um, yeah, but then they he kept him a, out of the last two games. Okay, yeah, and but he had a hamstring along the way, I think, or th- where he missed, I guess, the Kentucky game. There are multiple yeah. injuries along the way that held him back. So I, I think this is good for him. He'll get a bunch of reps, um, clearly this spring. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. Got another question or two, Sir Spur twelve, but is it twelve two sixteen or one twenty two sixteen? Regardless. What area of the offense will show the most improvement in the 2020 season? I all would of say, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you better hope all of them. The running game was the most consistent part of the offense last year. So I think, I think it's probably fair to expect, oh gosh, the wide receivers were so bad, they can't get worse. So that running, seems I don't like, feel like the running game was consistent at all last year. I felt like there well, was it like... Well, off towards the end There was like four injuries, games but, in the middle where they were amazing. They were, I mean, they were really good for the first like eight weeks of the season. They were solid, then they were amazing, and then there was like nothing, which I've never seen a right. drop yeah, it was to bizarre. go for, for App State. Yeah, you know, literally like, could not run it. Yeah, but, like, but at what point was the quarterback play or the wide receiver play amazing? And I guess we can say the offensive line was, you know, like fairly consistent. Like they run blocked pretty well, except for towards the end, which again is just like such a just everything fell off a cliff. It was bizarre. And like pass protection was kind of an issue sometimes, but a lot of times they give up zero sacks. If they didn't give up zero, they give up three, so that's not good. Your favorite stat of the year. I know they ruined it though. They ruined it <laughs> either against A and M or Clemson when they only gave up two. All right, I think I have my answer. I think quarterback play. That's sort of what I was thinking. Yeah, you, you get and that'll work hand speed. in hand. You right. know, receivers and quarterback hand in hand. Well, you hope bit, unless the receivers yeah. are dropping everything, right? Or they're not getting open. I, yeah. You know that, that was an tends issue last to year. Make it difficult on a quarterback. But yeah, that that's sort of where my head was at. Quarterback play. Another year of Helensky. Can Colin Hill be a Tavian feaster to Ryan Helensky's Rico Dowdle? We saw how much that helped to have a veteran guy transfer in and push him. Wes, you were talking about the competitive depth. I mean, how much of a difference does that make? Obviously, it's going to be different because Holinsky and Hill aren't going to be splitting snaps like Dowdle and Feaster were, mm-hmm. but just like in practice and camp. If Steve Spur was the coach, there would be a possibility. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's true. So I, I, that, that's, that's kind of where I'm leaning as well. Well, and the other thing, you know, last year, man, last year was so, I mean, I just think about it sometimes, wild year. Wild year, wild off season. I mean, the thing was absolutely crazy. But, um, you know, just the quarter, how the quarterback situation evolved last year. It was Jake Bentley. He did not play well in game one. Then he got hurt. Then it was Ryan Helinski. He came out, played extremely well his first two starts. Then he got hurt. Then he didn't play well. You know, first road start in Missouri went very, very poorly. Um, then he was hurt. Then it was Joiner a little bit. He was hurt. <laughs> you know, and so. Um, I think just having a healthy... That's why you need four great quarterbacks on your roster at all so. times. It's I guess the only so. answer. So, you know, when if, if you've got... Again, I go back to health. I mean, I, you know, you go back, can the running back room be healthy? Because they lose three seniors there um, who some of them played really well at times um, when healthy. I mean, when healthy, Rico Dowdle and Tavian Feaster were good. Yeah, that like was they were a, that good was, running backs. It that was like the not best average. running back tandem in the SEC for the first six or seven weeks yeah, of the season. It wasn't even they were average; they were good. 
like pretty good. Um, and so, you know, and, and even AJ, you put AJ Turner in that mix. He's been good at times and, and couldn't. So I, oh, I think so that's sad the biggest he didn't key. get to play last year. AJ, AJ, I really liked AJ. That was a, that was I feel really poorly for him. I do too. Was uh, he, didn't I, I, he was dealing with some injury, like I think, at times last year, maybe a concussion or something. But it was like mostly mm-hmm. special teams for him. All that yeah. talk about him moving into nickel, and they didn't need it because Jamie Robinson was fantastic. But so it was a shame. He had a seventy-five yard touchdown run for Carolina once. Once Texas upon a time. A&M. Yep. Um, we got one more. Do we want to hit this one? Yeah, yeah I don't know what it is. It. But let's All see. right. I uh, think this is the last one. Go ahead. SH Gamecock, two thousand one. Gamecock. Um, let's see. Rank a college program's positional coaching tree when combining these two components. Oh yeah, this was so confusing. This one, is like an SAT question. I I think I've got it figured out. The need and importance for development. The need to recruit. So so basically, you're an over as an overall coach. What are the most important, you know, coaching positions as far as your assistant coaches on staff? Um. Easy answer is ideally you'd be like pretty good at all of them. Um, let's see. I would say OC and DC tied most important tied. positions. Obviously, I mean, can can you separate those? If you have if you have an offensive, so. if you have an offensive Defense minded championships, Wes. No, if you have an offensive minded head coach and is very very tied in, mm-hmm. then probably defense coordinator is more important. If you have so for South Carolina, I would say obviously head coach most important, OC probably second mm-hmm. most important because we all know Will Muschamp's gonna make sure the defense is right if possible. Um, so then you go defense coordinator. Um, I would say defensive line next. I would say especially in the SEC. I would say offensive line. After that, I would say. Either running backs or cornerbacks. After that, no. I see. I've got running backs way down. Really, in my list. Um, but all you need is one guy, and he can totally carry you. I'm trying to think. So let's let's think about it like this: How do you build a successful team? If we were just gonna do our own draft or build our own dynasty in NCAA football 2021, you start with. God, I hope that an, happens. Yeah, you start with an elite quarterback, right? And then. What do you need to do next? Okay, well, you need to disrupt the other team's quarterback. So, good pass rusher, you know, defensive line. So, this is this is how I'm, like, organizing these priorities in my head. And then what do you need to do? Well, you need to protect your own quarterback. So, that's your offensive line. That's your left tackle. And then what do you need? You need a lockdown corner to take care of whoever the best player is on the other team. And then you probably need a bell cow back and then an elite perimeter playmaker and then some good safeties and then good linebackers and then a good tight end. That's how I would organize those position groups. Yeah, from a from a player perspective, but mm-hmm. I just I think a running back coach as far as development and stuff like, but he's also talking about recruiting and development. I, I know so you gotta. I know, but I I just you can't. There's no way to me that running back coach is more important than OC slash quarterbacks, more important no. than defense coordinator, more important than offensive line coach, or more important than defensive line coach. Now after that, maybe I feel like you could start to make a case against that. I. I would say tight ends, are, he's got tight ends last. Tight ends probably last. In today's college football, um, linebackers probably near the bottom as well. Linebackers mm-hmm. just don't matter as much as they, they once did because it's more about having a great defensive line and having guys on the edge. Um, the, now, he's got cornerbacks and safeties 
together. You know, if you're talking secondary coach, I guess. Now, if you were, they were split, cornerbacks way more important than safeties. Um, Although Carolina saw firsthand what happens when you have safeties not where they're supposed to be. Yeah, true, true. I mean, all all this stuff works hand in hand. It's not no no coach is not important. They're all important. So, um, so all right. So who do y'all have after OC, DC, O line, D or D line, O line? I would say corner, running back, wide receiver, safety, linebacker, tight end. I think that's fair. I, I was struggling about whether to put running back or wide receiver first if you're factoring in sort of the recruiting aspect of right. it. I would still go wide receiver. I pro- I actually probably would too. Maybe do a wide receiver then running back. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I just feel like but you can get the ball in a great running back's hands 25 times a game more easily than you can get it in a great wide receiver's hands. But but I'm thinking about how many, you know receivers that you recruit. You know like three of them on the field at once. Can you rotate them? Uh, one of them could be your returner on kicks or punts. Um, and I think a lot about bailout players. That's a huge, like, when you look at, like, LSU or Clemson, Ohio State, and you look at if they if those teams happen to get in third and 12, mm-hmm. back shoulder to this guy or throw, throw him a deep ball and he goes and makes a play for you. Is Debo the best bailout player ever? I don't think he's the best wide receiver. I mean, at Carolina. I don't think he's the best wide receiver ever at Carolina, but is he the best bailout player at Carolina? Alshon Jeffrey, Alshon. So, probably, okay. yeah, but but Debo is up there for sure. Mm-hmm. He's probably second. You know, Sidney Rice is pretty good too. Well, there's but there's been some there, there's been a lot some of them. dudes. But I you know I, I go back to that because if you get in those third and long situations and then you face a fierce pass rush or whatever, um, you know, and, and all, all the positions are important. But that's why I'd go a little bit higher. I'd go wide receiver, running back, and then well, I think I think last yeah I think wide receiver coach has to be able to develop and recruit whereas running back you just sort of development's important don't get me wrong but the just elite recruiting part is is the biggest factor something else to consider we can answer this and get full credit if we don't answer this or if we if we answer and we get it wrong we get zero points but if we don't answer it we still get a quarter of the point (laughs) okay did y'all not take the sat Oh, well, it's it was been a long like time ago. a long time ago. Not that long. Yes. Wow. 15 um, years? So all right. 16 years? That's not 107.5 that has a healthy debate on the proposed transfer rule changes. Uh, it's from Beckham. What are your thoughts on the proposed transfer rules, uh, which would, I believe, allow sort of uh, any player of any sport to transfer once without Not any team. sport. Uh, football, men's and women's basketball, baseball, and hockey. Oh. So, why wouldn't they allow? I don't know. That's just the rule. Do they already have to sit, like volleyball transfer, or can they already transfer without? Volleyball? That's a great question. I have no idea. Because that would I make don't know no, much about volleyball. What? Right. Who knows, man? All right. So there's my first issue. If we're <laughs> gonna let everybody transfer in our marketable big sports, then why can't you transfer in the other? Anyway, I'm preaching to the choir, I guess. But I, I mean, I. I think it was headed this way anyway. If you're going to, if we're going to make people get, and by people I mean student athletes, get lawyers and have to come up with these just made up reasons why um, they should be allowed to play anyway, let's just do away with the whole charade and say you got one transfer. 
deal with it. Yeah, all it does is make it impossible for the NCAA to screw this up, like in a case of Luke Ford, who just wanted to transfer back to Illinois to be near his sick grandfather, who I think just passed away today or yeah. yesterday. Yeah. As we're, record- we're recording this Wednesday morning, so it was either Tuesday or Wednesday that his grandfather passed away, which is really unfortunate. And how did that get denied? But Exactly. So all it does is is keep the NCAA from screwing this up, which they continually do. It's like, oh, you stubbed your toe on the curb outside of the lecture hall? Well, you're allowed to transfer. Oh, your grandfather's sick and dying, and you want him to see you play football now. Right. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, so a lot of people's concerns are, well, it's just going to be open season. It's going to be... It already is. Free agency, and to some it degree is three it of the is. four I mean, Heisman finalists it, were transfer quarterbacks. Three of the four... Right. So if so a guy happens. if a guy wants to leave, you know there are some. You know, will there be more rash decisions now, or will there be more players transfer? Yes, but I think people also are looking at that now. We actually have some data from the train. You know, the first step was the transfer portal. Okay, we'll make it a little bit easier now. Schools can contact you. How many guys, even guys who were D one scholarship guys with twenty offers coming out of high school, have gone in that thing and ended up going? I mean, down a level. I mean, we've heard of guys going in and, oh, man, they're going to go to a bigger school or a better situation, and then they end up somewhere smaller, which there's nothing wrong with that. But we're just seeing that when you say you're transferring, you're not automatically – like, I don't know if if, if people are just going to be – it's not going to be like trading guys back and forth. I I don't know if there's anything to actually support that. Will it be easier? Yeah, will there be more transfers? Probably. But I don't even know. Like, is that – such know. a bad thing. Will, will there be that many more? You think? I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know if it. I feel like it will be marginal. I feel if, like if people think that it's going to be, holy cow, you know, it's going to be awful. Like half the team's going to transfer mm-hmm. after the season. I just don't. Well, here's the I thing: if you want to transfer, you're going to transfer. And if you don't yeah. want to transfer, just having the option to transfer isn't going to make you want to transfer. I don't think. Yeah, yeah and uh, you know, there may be more transfers early on, but then I think. Guys as a whole will be like, wow, maybe maybe the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Um, and then I think it will sort of correct itself over time because kids will see, oh, well, leaving didn't necessarily improve that guy's situation anyway. And you know what? Here's something I, I read. I don't know where I saw this, but it makes sense, and it was something I didn't think about before. The system as it is currently designed um, – they used to not have so many different um, appeals for waivers as they do now. The system was not built for the number of appeals that they have to actually physically, logistically go through mm-hmm. at all given times. So you almost have to either say you can't trans, like you can't get a waiver, or everybody can transfer because right. there's just not the manpower to go through all these different yeah. cases. And then. Um, who was the who's the guy for Tennessee basketball? I was listening on the radio. Um I believe it's Tennessee. The Turkish guy. Well, maybe Derek Scott was talking about how um he he was appealing to be eligible immediately and he got denied, then he got denied, and then they did a third and final appeal <laughs> and it got accepted and then he could play. And it's like how same facts, probably. Like what, what cool. Wait, was that Viscovi? I think that was him. Santiago Viscovi? Yeah, I, I don't think know. so. Um, but what what changed? You know, well, it's like it's like Nick Muse last year, like with his waiver. Like that's a different situ, a little bit. You know, well, not really. No, he's just transferring. They let him know what twenty five minutes before kickoff or something. It's, it's like 
Yeah. Well, no, he, mi- he missed. Um, he missed the North Carolina, Carolina game. game. And then even yeah. still, it was like up in the air for a while. Yeah. yeah. But. It's like nothing changed. You had all the facts. You can't be that undermanned to where you, oh, you literally just didn't get to review it. And if you are, hire one more person because mm-hmm. you make millions of dollars. So, yeah. yeah. I just, yeah. So, I don't know. All right. Um, um, I think that's all the questions. I, say, on we get, I think we got to wrap now. Cause let's, uh, let's give shout outs, though, to people uh, Johnny Henderson. Uh, Beckham, USC Light, and uh, Gamecock, Mikel Johnson or Michael Johnson, um, not sure which one, um, for listening on YouTube as well, because um, that's something we want to pr- probably, hopefully, do a little bit more. Is yeah, streaming. So them. Thanks for tuning into that. If y'all did, and I don't know, it was probably a little bit underwhelming seeing the the behind the scenes, just because. I feel like people expect it to be way different than it is, but we actually, you know, do it pretty cleanly, like mostly in one take. Yeah. Just kind of like sit here and talk. We're not like shooting hoops or anything like DP, but um, I don't know. Hope y'all thought that was cool because we are going to do that more. So Yeah, and we may um, have a little bit cooler studio format yeah. in the future, hopefully. So. so there you go. So keep tuning in. Thanks for listening to the live stream. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast, which is free, and also subscribe to GameCockCentral.com. Spring is it's not free. next week. That's not free, but it's like it, it might as well be because it's such a good value. I mean, you only have to it's ninety nine ninety five for a whole year and it's you're not gonna get this stuff anywhere else. And spring is next week, which is crazy. It seems really early this year, but we'll obviously be back to talk a little bit more about spring as spring practice progresses and you'll get way more extensive updates and y'all can talk on the insiders forum and apparently there's some people in there that that are really important High in, ups, in the world of South Carolina ups. athletics. So Uh, You know, have fun sleuthing around, figuring out how those people are and get in touch with them. But yeah, subscribe to GamecockCentral.com. Subscribe to this podcast. Also rate it and review it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And we'll be back next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.